Why don't we stand and let's worship the Lord and let's welcome his presence one more time into this place as we prepare to go into the word of the Lord. God, we praise you. Can we thank the Lord for his presence that's in this place? It's been said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Whether it's prudent or not, everyone judges things that they have no experience in. One could see a pile of building materials and find no value in it, while a carpenter could look at the same thing and see a piece of furniture waiting to be built. One person could see a box of paints and brushes and canvas and see something for the yard sale, while an artist looks at the same box and sees a landscape that someone would be willing to pay a lot of money for. One man's trash is another man's treasure. The difference between trash and treasure is the craftsman or the artist that has the ability to pull out the greatness that's inside the item. Anthony Robbins said, it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. And today, for some, it's your moment of decision, and you're going to pick your destiny. The book of Genesis, chapter number 32, beginning at verse 24. Genesis 32, 24 through 28. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him, until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name's not Jacob anymore, but Israel. Israel. I want to preach to somebody this morning something that's been weighing on my mind all morning, all week long. It's easy to get caught up in how other people see you. But this morning I want to preach about how God sees you how God sees you. Lord, I'm asking you to help me preach. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, for your presence to move in this place, not by power and not by might, God, but by your spirit. I pray, Lord Jesus, let your spirit give life this morning. God, I pray for your anointing to stir somebody's soul to receive it. I pray, help me, Lord Jesus, to touch somebody's heart in mind and soul, God, 
And Lord, I pray that you would have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated in the presence of the Lord. Jacob is one of the most beloved characters in the Bible. He is often preached as a superhero type character. He is the man who loved the birthright and the blessing. He is the man who wrestled with an angel all night. Jacob's life has everything that you could ever want in a story. Intrigue, crime, romance, violence, betrayal, sibling rivalry. To say that Jacob lived an adventurous life would be quite the understatement. He was the youngest of a set of twins. He was born literally holding his brother's foot while coming out of the womb. Even in the womb, Jacob and Esau struggled with each other. Jacob's character traits are less than perfect. He would rather let his brother starve than give him food unless he could gain an advantage from the situation. He deceives his aged and blind father and lies to him to get a blessing. He steals goats from his father-in-law, painting a ring around them to match his own. Jacob is no model of perfection or virtue. His name means supplanter. Quite literally, it means heel holder, which was a local colloquialism that meant basically he's a liar, a cheater, and a thief. He spent most of his early years living up to that name, or should I say down to that name. He made his name a true statement. He really was a liar and a cheat and a thief. When his brother Esau looked at him, he saw a thief. When his father-in-law Laban looked at him, he saw a cheater. When his father Isaac saw him, he saw a liar. That's what Jacob was. But somewhere down deep inside of Jacob was something great waiting to be manifested. It was a desire for God. People couldn't see it. Man didn't notice it. But there was an empty place inside of Jacob that longed for more of God. Jacob would not have been a popular choice for the next religious icon. He would not have been mistaken by anyone to be a spiritual leader. He had lied, cheated, and deceived everyone who had really known him or been close to him. If God had taken a poll about how to deal with Jacob, most people would have voted for him to be judged and disciplined. But what other people couldn't see about Jacob, God knew was inside of him. There is a saying that you can't judge a book by its cover. And that's a true statement. Things are not always as they seem. 
I'll give you the theses that I'm operating under this morning right now. There are people and circumstances that appear hopeless to many of us. If we were taking a vote on who would make it and who wouldn't, there would be a lot of people who we'd cross off the list. But I've come this morning to preach that God is the deciding factor between success and failure, and God wants to make a difference in somebody today. Go ahead and give God praise this morning. There are some among us who feel so useless and worthless that you can't do anything with your life, let alone do anything for God. I think about this little boy, Jacob. His parents gave him that name based on the simple act of an innocent baby. At the moment of his birth, he grabs his brother's heel. He's born holding the heel of Esau, the older twin. And so they name him Jacob, the heel holder, the supplanter. To our 21st century experience, it's nothing. But to his generation, it was an insult. In the vernacular of his day, to be called a supplanter or a heel holder was to have low character and low ethics based on the simple act of an innocent baby grabbing his brother's heel, they determined that he's always going to be that way. And they marked him for the rest of his life. And true to his name, he fulfilled everything that they said that he was. You've got to be careful what you call someone based on a single interaction or a moment of time. When you see somebody at their worst moment, and you decide that's who they are, you better be careful passing judgment on somebody at their worst moment or their worst time. Can I preach to you a minute? You see something about somebody on Facebook, and you know everything on Facebook's true, right? No, no, most of it probably isn't. But you read something about somebody, and based on somebody's limited interaction, you typecast somebody Maybe forever. They saw a newborn baby holding the heel of his brother and decided you're always going to be a heel holder and a supplanter. And they prophesied his weakness by speaking that over him. Parents, never let your children hear you say that they're bad or they're mean or they're this or that. You plant seeds in their mind and if you're not careful, they'll live to fulfill what you called them when they were babies. Amen. That's good preaching right there. I'm going to stop and let you say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, my, I told you, my wife and I, 28 years, 28 years we've been married this, as of this last Friday. And when we were dating, she worked at a daycare and she took care of babies. And babies are messy. And uh, sometimes babies made her messy. And I'd walk in that daycare to see her and I'd tell her how good she looked and how pretty she looked and she'd say, quit saying that. You know it's not true. She'd do this. You've seen it. If you've seen it, raise your hand. You've seen it. She gave me that look. But you know what? It didn't matter what the babies had done to her. 
I thought she was beautiful. I still think she is. Amen. Thank you. You have to have the ability to see somebody not marked by what other people have done to them, not marked by situations and circumstances in life. Jacob fulfilled everything that his parents had called him when he was nothing but an innocent baby and he lived down to that reputation and it affected how everyone else saw him. Her, hey, let me tell you, hey young man, what's your name? My name's Jacob. Oh, you're a cheater, you're a supplanter, you're a liar, you're a thief. And so his actions followed what they called him. I hear people speaking down to people so much. Can I tell you what my current biggest pet peeve is? It's the way some of y'all talk to each other. Am I all right, Bishop? Amen. Praise God. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens right there. But, uh, but I, I amen myself. And so right now, I guess that's all I can hope for. You got to be careful how you speak to other people because what you say may prophesy something into their life that you're going to have to deal with down the road. Amen. Because of his name, because of his name, people had low expectations of Jacob and Jacob made those expectations come true. People may not see anything in you. You may not see anything in yourself. You may hear people saying things about you and you think you'll never amount to anything, but I've come to say that God can see something in you that no one else can see. It may take some wrestling with angels in the middle of the night to bring it out of you, but I'm telling you, there's something in you that God saw. That's why you're here right now. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. You're here because God sees something inside of you. That he knows he can pull out. There's something great on the inside of you. Somebody to thank God that he sees what you can't see. And what others can't see. I'm convinced that inside of everyone in this place this morning. There's something that God can use. Thank God that he doesn't need perfect people. Praise God. If God had to have perfect people there'd be nobody here today. God doesn't need perfect people or perfect situations to make something happen. He just needs people who's willing to let him have his way in their life. God, I want you to have your way in my life. God, I want you to have your way in my life. Turning to the prophet Ezekiel. He was shown a vision in Ezekiel chapter 37. This story was brought back to my mind. I'm I'm teaching a Bible study with some folks on Wednesday afternoons before church. And this, this particular story came up in, in the Bible study. And it's kind of been rolling over in my mind now for three or four days. But the Bible says, Ezekiel 37, 1 and 2, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. And caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. Ezekiel is dropped off into a valley. And when he looks in the valley, the Bible said there were very many bones laying in the valley. And not only were they dry bones, but the Bible said, lo, 
they were very dry. Ezekiel looks across the valley and sees nothing but dry bones. He sees the remnants of what used to be. He saw dryness and death. Ezekiel, the prophet of God, the man of God, used to work miracles by God. But even he didn't see any potential in that valley. All he saw were bones. And not only were they dry, but they were very dry. As a prophet, he knew that God could raise the bones, that could raise the dead. But these were not even dead bodies. They were just piles of dry bones. Sometimes, even the most spiritual people can't see any hope. Sometimes, even prophets of God have trouble seeing that God can do anything. God said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, he he wants to say, look at these bones. There's no way they can live. But he knows better than to talk that way to God. So he just says, God, you know. That's his way of saying, I don't think so. But if you say it, okay. What he really wanted to say were, are you serious? There's nothing here but old, dry bones. There's no skin. There's no organs. There's nothing but dry bones. And not only are they dry, but they're very dry. Ezekiel didn't just say the bones were there. He said they're very dry. I can't imagine a more hopeless situation than a valley full of dry bones. All life has been drained away from these individuals. All hope is gone. Nothing but very dry bones. There are some among us who may view your circumstances as dry bones. There's no hope. Nothing can change. My children will never get right with God. My marriage will never be better. I'll never have peace of mind. I'll never overcome the abuse I went through. I'll never get through my trial. I'll never have joy again. But may I tell you that I have come to tell you that God specializes in impossibilities. Amen. God specializes in impossibilities. God asked the preacher if he believed and the preacher didn't even see any hope. I'll be honest. Can I be honest with you? I'm always going to be honest, but I want to be honest and open. I'm going to tell you sometimes I look at situations and in my natural thinking, I think, God, I don't see any way that it's going to work out. I don't see any way that it's going to get better. God, I don't see any way that you're going to be able to fix this. And he says, can these bones live? And what I want to say, God, is there's no way that they'll ever get over the mess that they've got themselves into. But God didn't call me to judge the bones. God just said, preach to the bones. Amen. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I've got a mandate from God this morning to preach the word of the Lord to somebody that feels like all hope is gone. Oh, I wish somebody would help me pray right now. I'm trying to infuse faith in somebody's soul this morning. In Ezekiel 37 and 4, again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones. And say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. 
Can I tell you that if you don't let me preach to you, I can't help you. If you don't let me preach the word into your heart, there's not a lot I can do. But if you're willing to open your heart to the word of the Lord, anything can happen in this place this morning. We've seen it. Haven't we seen it before? Haven't we watched people come through the door and we almost had a heart attack when they came in? But by the time church was over, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. And God had turned their life around. Some of it is you. And you're sitting here this morning as a witness. Is there anybody here that you came and your life was a mess? And if, they, if anybody would have asked, can you live? You'd have said, there's no way I'll ever get my peace back. But why don't you wave your hand and say, I'm a witness that what this preacher's preaching is true. If you'll let me preach the word of the Lord to you. Things happen when the word of God is preached. There's something happening in the supernatural this morning. It's the seed of the word. And when the seed comes in, the Bible said it brings forth fruit. There's something that can happen in this place this morning because the seed of God's word is coming into your home, into your marriage, into your family. Into your, there's something happening by the divine supernatural. I wish somebody believed what I was preaching right now. I wish somebody really believed there's power in the word of God. Where the word of the king is, there's power. Something happens when the word of God is preached. Hallelujah. Sometimes you just got to speak the word of the Lord into desperate situations. I've seen people go through some stuff, they lose their faithfulness. They lose their worship. They lose their prayer life. I've often wondered why people, when they're going through difficulties, pick the most desperate times to become the least spiritual. They pick the worst time to become the least spiritual version of themselves. It's when things are at their worst that you ought to cry to Jesus so much the more. God, when I feel like I'm losing control of a situation, God, I'm not going to relax my worship. I'm going to elevate my worship. God, when I feel like there's tension in my home, I'm not going to relax my prayer life. I'm going to elevate my prayer life. Something happens when the word of God begins to come into a situation. Oh, God, listen, if you've got children giving you trouble, when you get those babies off the school, you walk in their room, you walk the halls of your house, and you declare the word of God over that child. This is the child of God. This is the child. This is the person that God has died. You need to declare the word. It may look like dry bones. It may look like there's no hope. But you speak the word over it, and you watch what God begins to do. Amen. I'm, I'm preaching to you this morning. There's people here that they were headed straight for divorce court. They were separated, but they began to speak the word of the Lord over their spouse. And it didn't happen in a day, didn't happen in a week. But a few months later, here they come right down the aisle, rebaptized with the Holy Ghost. Because when the word of God gets spoken into a situation, anything, everything can happen. Oh, God, I speak your word over my family this morning. 
God, I speak your promises over my finances this morning. God, I speak your promises over my mind this morning. I rebuke discouragement and depression and anxiety out of my mind and my heart. I speak the word. You ought to be doing it right now. You don't have to wait for an altar call. Every moment we have in this church is an altar call. like speaking the word of the Lord over somebody today. Oh, ye dry bones, hear ye the word of the Lord. It's not over. It's not impossible. It's not hopeless. It just needs the hand of God to move in the situation. It's not too late. It's not done. There's no impossible situation when the word of God begins to move. Ezekiel started speaking the word of the Lord over these dry bones. Amen. Amen. I remember the first time I preached in Lebanon. The church was just a, a few months old. And, and they, that, that any Christians, they didn't have very many. And the ones that they had were just freshly out of Islam, mostly. And, uh, or, or, or steeped in, in deep denominationalism. And so, so they, they had no idea how to respond to the word of God. And, and so I would get up and preach. And I'd preach just as hard as I could preach. And uh, I, I remember in those days, the, the crowd, the congregation would be about 85% Muslim. They were just coming to check out the church service because they, they heard there was a new Christian church in Beirut. And so they'd come to watch. And, uh, and I'd preach and they just, and that's what, exactly what they did. They watched. And, uh, and, and I'd preach and I'd preach. And, and I, I would feel like I'm not accomplishing anything. I'm just, just, just throwing words out there and it's not doing anything. And I remember that first service that I preached at the conference. And, uh, and I didn't expect by the time the preaching was over, I had preached myself into low expectations. I, I decided I'm going to get out of this pulpit and the guy that's preaching tomorrow can do whatever he wants to do. And I made... An altar call, and when I did, people all over that auditorium stood up, and it were they were they were Islamic people, but they had their children with them, and they would bring their children. They would they would extend their hands because they didn't want to get too close to me, but they wanted me to pray for their children. Their children, many of them, no food at all in the house. Many of them refugees from the war in Syria. Illegal for them to go to school at the public schools in Lebanon. No future, no hope, nothing going for them. And so they bring their children, they hold their children out, and they want you to bless their children. So we started to pray for these children. We began to pray for these, these little boys and girls that are displaced through no fault of their own, that God would begin to move. And if you'd have asked me while I was preaching, is there any hope to have a great church in this place? I would have looked out at the dry bones and I would have said, there's no hope for this place. There's no hope for revival here. But 10 visits later, we have a thriving, powerful, Holy Ghost-filled apostolic church where people are getting baptized almost every single service. I'm thankful that Brother Zar and his family kept preaching to the bones. Just keep preaching to the bones. 
Just what I'm trying to say is don't give up when it looks like there's no hope. Don't give up when it looks like it's over. Because when it looks like it's over, it's not over at all. As long as you can speak the word of God over a situation, anything can happen. I wish somebody praise God right now. He began to speak the word over these dead, dry bones. He told them, man, I love, I, I love, I love the word of God. I love the word of God. He tells them, he tells the dry bones. He, he, he says in verse number 10, Ezekiel 37 and 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into him. There's a verse, just a few verses higher than that where he said, the Lord said, prophesy to the bones and tell the bones, I'm gonna cause breath to enter into you. And you shall live. I think it's awesome that God started out by saying, I'm going to put breath in you. He said, I'm going to put breath in you before he put lungs in them. He said, I'm going to put breath in you before he gave them nostrils and a mouth to breathe through. He told them what it looked like. There's no way. They didn't even have a place to put breath in. But God said, I'm going to put breath in you and you're going to live. He gave them that seed of word, the prophet, the prophecy from God's word. And that prophecy began to work in that situation. Can I tell somebody, I'm preaching to somebody's dead places in their life that God's going to cause breath to come into you and you're going to live. I've come to tell somebody that you feel like you've ruined your life and there's no way you're ever going to get it back. I've come to tell you God is going to cause breath to come into you and you're going to live. I've come to tell somebody that you're all but thrown in the towel on your life ever getting any better. But I've come to preach that God's going to put breath in you and you're going to live. I don't see how, but God said he was going to do it. I don't know why God sent me this message this morning. I don't know exactly who I'm preaching to today. I don't know all the stuff going on in your life, but I know that God met me in that office and said, tell them I'm going to put breath in them. Somebody's going somebody's to have a revival of the Holy Ghost. Oh, I wish somebody believe it. I wish somebody get faith. I'm going to get my joy back. I'm going to get my peace back. He promised them breath before he promised them sinews and flesh. God could have told Ezekiel, go tell the dead dry bones that they deserve what they got. He could have stepped up. Ezekiel could have stepped up and told the bones how bad and dead and useless and hopeless that they looked. But Ezekiel spoke the word of the Lord to them. And God's word for them was I'm going to breathe into you one more time. Oh, hallelujah. Can I tell you a little positive preaching began to cause the bones to move. Amen. I've known some people that all they ever like is hard preaching. The harder the better. I'm going to tell you, a good Pentecostal preacher has a strain of smart aleck in him. He can't hardly help it. 
And sometimes people egg it on. Some people want hellfire and brimstone all the time. But sometimes you need to step in the pulpit and you need to say, God's going to do something good for you. People are beat down by this generation. People are beat down by this society. People are beat down by all the stuff going on in life. And sometimes the last thing they need is a preacher to get in a pulpit and tell them you're no good and you're never going to amount to anything. If you don't get right, you're going to get left behind. Sometimes you just need somebody to say, God said he's going to breathe the spirit into you. I've come to tell somebody God's going to give you your peace back. Can I tell somebody? Hallelujah. Brother Wilson, my wife and I met with a, a sweet sister in this church earlier this week. And we spent some time in, in conversation. And, and that sweet sister who loves God and lives for God and has lived for God for a long time is going through some difficulty and some stress and some frustration in life. And, and they're, 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 they feel like they're near a breaking point. But while I was preaching this word, I got a vision from God that God's going to touch her with the Holy Ghost one more time. That God's going to breathe his spirit, a fresh anointing. Amen. That's a word from God. I'm not singling anybody out, but I'm just telling you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. There's a fresh wind of the Holy Ghost coming for some people in this place that you woke up and thought, what's the use of even going? What's the use of, use of even showing up? It's been so, you, if the use of showing up is that the word brings life. God's going to breathe. God's going to breathe. You ought to raise your hands to heaven right now and say, God, breathe on me with that spirit one more time. God, breathe into my family. God, breathe. You know what we need in this church more than we need anything else? We need family revivals. Amen. I hope we have a church revival, but I would love for the Holy Ghost to bring peace to our homes in this place, that the Holy Ghost would breathe into the living rooms and the kitchens and the bedrooms and hallways of our homes, that God, God, breathe into my family one more time. Is there a mom and dad that would say, God, I need you to breathe revival into my home? Oh, God. Hear ye the word of the Lord, dry bones. God says he's going to breathe on you again and you will live. I'm preaching life to somebody today. Ezekiel told the bones you're going to live again. I want, I, I've, got, I've got some bone. I've got some bones in my office. i got some some uh, plastic bones, plastic stuff I use as an illustration to preach. I also got, I got some other, I got some uh, donkeys jaw bones in my, I got two sets of them. And uh, I'm glad to report that in all the years I've had them, they have not moved by themselves a single time. Praise God, you'd be in the pastor market right now because I'd be gone. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. I get over here sometimes 4.30 in the morning on Sundays. I don't know what I'd do if I sat there and make myself a cup of coffee and look up and those jawbones talking to me. 
I'll tell you what I'd want. I'd want somebody to walk in that office and say, you shall live again. Sure enough, I'd be dead. Bones can't move on their own accord. But when the word of God was preached to them, the Bible said there was a shaking and those bones began to move. Sometimes I think I'd like to see it and sometimes I'm not so sure. But imagine what it must have been like when a femur from over, the Bible said bone to his bone. Where one bone that joins is over here, carried by a coyote to the far end of the, of the valley. Another bone from the same skeleton carried by a vulture to the far end of another, another hillside somewhere. But when the word of the Lord began to be preached, the Bible said that the bones came together. Not just in some freak Frankenstein way, just randomly joined, but bone to his bone. God began to reconstruct a life that had been torn apart by whatever it was that destroyed it. Can I tell you that what God wants to do, God doesn't want to just put you together in some freakish way, but God wants to bring your life back together and restore you to his original purpose and plan for your life bone to his bone. He wants to reconstruct what you thought the devil had torn apart and ruined and messed up. God wants to bring it back together. Dreams that you had given up because the devil had scattered your life across the hillside. But God said, I'm going to reconstruct and bring it back bone to his bone. I'm trying to breathe life into somebody this morning to believe. Bone to his bone. God did what he said he would do. I got to hurry. Lord Jesus. Close to lunch. He, I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up, an exceeding great army. In 10 verses, in 10 verses, they went from low, they were very dry, to an exceeding great army. In 10 verses, from hopeless to powerful. In 10 verses, from inert to moving. In 10 verses, from laying destroyed in the valley to standing on their feet. I'm going to tell you, some of you think it's going to take forever to God to put, for God to put your life back together. But when God gets busy, he doesn't have to have all year to do something. He can do it in a moment. You can walk out of here different than you came in. In just a moment, in just a little bit of time, whatever you carried in here, you can carry, you can walk out without it. You can leave it at the altar in just a moment of time. I'm, I'm, I'm heading towards the close quickly now. What man saw and what God saw, totally different. Years ago, while researching a sermon about music, night music was the title of the sermon. I found some interesting facts about violins, and I'll, I'm certainly not a violin player, and I'm, I'm not really a music fan, and I'm not terribly fond of violin music. But nonetheless, I fell down a research rabbit hole, and now I'm preaching my way into one. Violins showed up around the ninth century, 
But the golden age of violin making was the mid-1500s through the 1700s, the mid-1700s. The Amati family, the Stradivari family, and the Guaneri family, the greatest violin makers of all time. It's the instruments from these three families that are the most expensive musical instruments ever produced. The Messiah violin by Stradivari, valued at $20 million. The Lady Blunt by Stradivari, made in 1716, sold in New York for $15.9 million. A violin by Delgesu, $15.8 million. And just three violins, over $51 million. If anybody's got a violin to sell for the building fund, <laughs> I won't be mad. Even more interesting to me is not how much they're worth now, but how they came to be. It's said that the very first violins were very crudely made instruments. According to research, a gourd was dried and cut in half, lengthways, and a cat's gut was stretched over the gourd. Finally, strings made from the hairs of a horse's tail were strung over the cat gut, and then a bow strung with horse hair to strike the strings. It's hard to believe that a dried gourd, a cat's gut, and a horse's tail would eventually become an instrument worth $20 million. You have to wonder about the man walking down the road in the ninth century. He sees a field of gourds, a dead cat, and the backside of a northbound horse. And said, I got an idea. I think I can use this. It's a gourd, a cat gut, and a horse's tail. But I hear music. It's trash, roadkill, and the only thing that really wanted any of it was the horse himself. Things to be burned or buried. But in the right hands, it's the most sought-after music in the world. A priceless treasure. Because somebody knew how to take something that appeared to have no value and make something out of it. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I'm coming to a close. I hope you'll help me pray. But I've come to tell somebody that it does not matter what you see in yourself or what others see in you. All that matters is that the master craftsman of the universe sees something in you that he can make something out of. You may feel like Jacob living down to your name or bones left in a dead dry valley or a cat that got ran over. Maybe you've lived in such a way that you've earned what people think about you. 
Maybe life's battles have left you spiritually dead and dry. Perhaps life has run you over. But what others see no value in, God sees a destiny. God can make something out of what others see no value in. As your eyes are closed all over this place this morning. I've come to tell you that God sees something. Something beautiful, something powerful, something awesome inside of you. Others may have written you off. Others may have decided that you're no good. Others may have called you this or that. But all that matters is that God sees something in you that he brought you to this house this morning to let you know how he sees you. He doesn't see you as a supplanter, the heel holder, the cheat. He doesn't see you as the dry dead bones and he certainly doesn't see you as a gourd and a cat guy God sees a patriarch of a family you hear me dads especially those of you with little children and you wonder how can I raise my children in this generation to know God I'm going to tell you how you do it you're going to do it because God said you can do it God said, I'm going to breathe into you and you shall live. How am I going to get my family together? How am, I going to get it? How am I going to get my marriage together? How am I going to get my joy back? How am I going to get my peace? How am I ever going to shake off this discouragement, this depression? How am I ever going to get over what I've been afflicted or abused by? How am I ever going to get my life together? I'm such a mess. hear the word of the Lord I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live as you stand with me this morning I want you to lift your hands to heaven the Bible said I will lift up my hands in the sanctuary and I will bless the Lord I'm not exactly certain who all I preached to this morning. But I can't help, help but feel that somewhere in here is somebody that you feel like life has beat you up a little bit. Maybe you see yourself as dry bones. Or maybe you see yourself as that Jacob that everybody decided that that's what you're going to be for the rest of your life. And you wondered, will I ever be useful will I ever get my life together I just want you to know that you are not how others see you and you are not how you see yourself you are how God sees you God I'm asking you Lord to move in this place right now do I have any prayer warriors that are willing to help me 
Do I have anybody that's willing to engage in what the Spirit's trying to do? The Spirit of the Lord's trying to encourage somebody. If I preach you, I'm going to ask you to step out and come to the altar. I'm going to ask you to come and pray and say, God, I needed this word. My faith needed this infusion. My heart needed to hear a word of positivity. God, I needed to be reminded that you don't see me like other people see me. And you don't count me like other people count me. And God, you don't even see me as I see myself. But God, when you look at me, you see, you don't see old Jacob, the heel holder. You see Israel, the prince. You don't see the dry bones. What you see is an army. And when you look at the cat gut and the gourd and the horse hair, you hear music coming from my life. Oh, come on, that's right. Why don't you reach over and pray for somebody close to you? Why don't you let the Holy Ghost begin to move here and the Spirit of the Lord lift somebody's spirit today? We serve a God that wants to be good to you. We serve a God that wants to bless you. We serve a God who wants His grace and His mercy to come into your life. I rebuke low self-expectations. I expect your greatness, God. That's right. Pray one for another. God, I expect you to speak peace. Lord, I thank you, God. Breathe into them that they may live this morning. Breathe into their marriages, oh God, with hope. God, breathe into their life today. Come on. Can we pray? Can we pray like we know how to pray? Somebody needs your good faith praying. Somebody needs a positive word spoken over them. You ought to just go to somebody. You ought to begin to pray the blessings of God over them. And ask the Lord to be with them and to help them. For God to give grace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you, Lord. There's greatness in this man. God, there's greatness. Hope in a future, Lord. God, I thank you because when you looked at Scott, God, you saw him for what you put in him. This is your man. Your blessing is on him. Your goodness is on him. Your grace is on him. Your presence is in him. Thank you, God, for what the Holy Ghost is doing in his family. Thank you, Jesus. You ought to speak the word of faith today. In Jesus' name.
said you are. You're not what your family named you. You're not what the devil said you are. You're what God sees you as. You're healed in the eyes of God. You're whole in the eyes of God. You're delivered in the eyes of God. You're not a mistake in the eyes of God. You're not broken in the eyes of God. You're not worthless. All the Come on, worship Him. You're not worthless in the eyes of God. You're not hopeless in the eyes of God. You're whole. You've got peace. You've got hope. There's something more for you. You're not over. Your story's not over. It's not finished. God has more for you today. Worship Him. It's not over. It's not finished. He's still in it. He's still with you. He still loves you. He's never forsaken you.
somebody close to you pray with them for a minute. The Holy Ghost isn't done yet. The Holy Ghost isn't done yet. Pray, pray with somebody close to you. Find somebody. Find somebody. Go speak life to them. Let the Lord speak to you. And you speak what the Lord says to them. Speak life into them. Give them hope. Give them faith. Pray for them right now. Strengthen your brother. Strengthen your sister by your prayers right now. Come on, let's be in unity with one another. Let's bind together and pray with one another. Hallelujah. The Bible says to confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God wants to heal you today. Why don't you confess and why don't you pray for one another so that there can be healing throughout the room, healing throughout the room right now. Restoration throughout the room right now in Jesus' name. Come on, pray fervently like you would pray for your own self if you're trying to get out of something. Pray for that person right now. Pray for that person to have hope. Pray for that person as if it was your own situation, as if it was your own family. Pray for that person right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I speak breakthrough. In the name of Jesus, I speak life. In the name of Jesus, I speak deliverance. In the name of Jesus, I speak hope. In the name of Jesus, come alive. In the name of Jesus, get up out of your pit. In the name of Jesus. You're coming out of this. You're coming out of this. You're coming out of the pit. You're coming out of this trial. You will overcome it. You will come out in Jesus' name.
For some reason, it seems like Sunday night's always next level. I'm, I, I, you need to come tonight expecting great things and come tonight at 6 o'clock praying for great things in the prayer room tonight. In Jesus' name, you may be dismissed today.